This is the FS Tech Podcast. Hello and welcome to the FS Tech Podcast. I'm Hannah McGrath, editor of FS Tech, and today we're going to take a look at why financial services firms are exploring an open hybrid cloud approach. Financial services institutions are increasingly turning to hybrid cloud solutions as they modernize their organizations and look to meet customer demand for digital services. But what does this actually look like? Taking an open source approach to cloud can also help to overcome some of the key pitfalls many FSIs fall into when it comes to cloud transformation, such as cloud vendor lock-in, growing regulatory pressures, and the changing culture and skills required by new ways of storing, using, and sharing data. An open source approach to hybrid cloud can also offer distinct benefits such as enhanced support, more freedom with cloud and vendor agnosticism, and the ability to scale with greater consistency and efficiency. But how advanced are FSIs in their cloud journeys? And what are some of the main business challenges faced by organizations as they seek to harness the advantages of the cloud? So to delve further into these challenges, I'm joined by Nikolai Stankow, who is Director for Business Development at Red Hat. Welcome to the podcast, Nick. It's great to have you here today. Thanks, Anna. Pleasure and excited to be here. Fantastic. And so let's just jump into our discussion then. So our first question is, how advanced are financial services institutions in their cloud adoption journey? Obviously, we hear a lot about it, but how far along this sort of maturity curve are we really uh, when it comes to the industry at large? Yeah, so if we look a little bit back to where we came from, so a decade ago, I mean, financial services companies, they struggled to find where cloud technology would actually fit into their existing IT landscape. Mm -hmm. And today, nearly every financial services institution has some semblance of public or private cloud use underpinning, you know, modern application and, and workloads. So we've seen different trends. Some institutions start with their private cloud first, and then some look at using the public cloud for development purposes, and they look for different use cases to do that. Most banks and insurance companies have also been working on their internal private cloud capabilities first, then to identify the cases, but that was due to the security and also regulations and compliance. So I think all of the financial services institutions not only have their private cloud set up and ready to use, but they also have now a multi-cloud approach, which means they're using more than one hyperscaler. And I think the challenges you set on the maturity level, where are we? I think we're far into cloud, but it is now, you know, what do I do with my multiple clouds? There are so many providers out there. How do I handle it? How do I do my security, my automation or my provisioning? Um, and how can I deliver these services quickly and secure? I think that is the challenge where we are currently in the adoption of cloud. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these hyperscalers are, are, let's face it, making so much money out of cloud, you would be surprised that there wasn't wide scale adoption. Um, however, as you mentioned there, it's the use cases for it. And it's working out how this actually integrates with the existing technology stack and the infrastructure. And I think I think it's really interesting that sort of microservice applications um, and the emergence, obviously, of digital services, particularly within the last year when everything has shifted to digital, um, has meant that cloud has almost become the sort of the default option. But are people doing intelligent things with it and are they actually maximizing the potential of cloud for their organization so you mentioned well i mentioned earlier an open hybrid cloud approach can you talk to me a bit about what that is and what the main advantages are of this approach how does it differ from perhaps more traditional cloud approaches yeah so as we've said you know there are multiple clouds out there um, different cloud providers if we talk about open hybrid clouds we can most easily explain this as implementing an abstraction layer 
You know, in the old days, you had your VMs, you know, you had different technology, how to virtualize and abstract that. I think now for the cloud layer, that open hybrid cloud is the abstraction layer that enables the integration of multiple private, but also public clouds. And specifically for financial services institutions, it's also the optimal use and the multitude of cloud options, as you said, which are available, they need to be considered and said, well, they need to deliver consistent enterprise-wide automation, but they also need to leverage agile software development methodologies and DevOps. We always talk about how to get things up faster, how to speed up innovation. We look at all the fintechs, which are in competition to the large financial services institutions. And then the other point is the security and governance of how do I deploy cloud? How do I secure it? And that also applies to where the application is eventually deployed. So you mentioned the technologies which are involved. So we talk about open hybrid cloud technologies, then these leverage container technology, microservices to enable the intelligent application to scale according to their needs. Yeah, absolutely. And, and scaling is, is a really interesting question there. And I guess it's not just sort of growing the business. It's also ensuring that different business areas have access to the data they need. And that, that leads nicely on to my next question, which is um, what impact can a new cloud approach have on different business areas? Um, and what are some of the challenges um, that FSIs in particular are experiencing when it comes to um, sort of cloud integration with existing workflows? Yeah. So let's start from the last question that, or the last part. What are the challenges? I think understanding that new technology and having people, resources, you know, I think everybody's fighting for these resources and, and it's hard for banks to get people that are knowledgeable and that can help build those infrastructures and have the ability and the knowledge since the, the industry for cloud is relatively new. The other one is what impact we see is the ability to win, serve, and retain customers depending on, on delivering new capabilities, you know, through new applications and do that consistently. You know, we see this integrative approach of having many changes in a very short period of time, have that DevOps approach, fail fast, which is essential to keep or even to gain competitive advantage for the banks being challenged by fintechs and neobanks today. If we look into the, the cloud native, we see it as the business enabler, who is a more efficient way of conducting business. So if you're developing and scaling new services quickly, you need to do that in order to enhance your digital customer experience, which separates you from the rest. And then I mentioned fintechs a little bit. If you have that infrastructure set up, then it's easy to integrate fintech solutions. They're mostly all developed on cloud technology, but it's also easier to build partner ecosystem where you can easily integrate and offer new additional services, which might be beyond your own capability or you're selling your services as white label services. So that's a little bit the, the point of view in regards to the new cloud approaches. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that that last point there about sort of third party services and also sort of extending the limits of a financial services organization, you know, what you can offer to the customer um, and what it means to build a financial services ecosystem. Cloud is obviously essential to that because data sharing is so important um, when it comes to building those relationships and making sure that processes like, for example, open banking uh, can, can work properly and efficiently. Um, so uh, what impact and let's let's have a look at, um, at some of the, um, the sort of the different implications of, of cloud. Um, what impact are regulatory requirements? such as DORA um, in the EU likely to have on cloud transformation uh, and this really key topic of digital and operational resilience, which has obviously been brought to the fore in the last 18 months. 
Yeah, you mentioned a very, very important topic, the, the ORA, the Digital Operational Resilience Act, um, which is a regulation to be expected, I think, to come in 2022. Mm -hmm. um, it specifically addresses the cloud concentration risk. So if we look at Europe, we have 22,000 financial services in this institutions or entities which are mainly being served by three hyperscalers, AWS, Google, and Azure. So that is a combined, they have a combined market share of over 60%. So what Dora is actually doing is they're focusing and then harmonizing the IT resilience, government, and risk management. How do we see that? So I personally think that Dora will have a very large impact on the cloud transformation in itself because hyperscalers are now being asked to take up responsibility. They will need to ensure that they comply with the Dora regulation when serving financial services customers. So a little bit of the burden of the institutions themselves are being now handed over to the hyperscalers. What is really essential, and this is also something that we see in the market, is due to that regulation that there needs to be a flexibility of moving from one public cloud to another public cloud and also to private cloud. Because if regulations change, you need to make sure that your data is back in your own private you know, cloud or that due to some regulatory new uh, ways, we see that data needs to be stored locally in that certain service. So that needs to be flexible. And this is where we see a lot of consideration being put in specifically when it comes to Dora. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, I mean, having done a bit of reading around this, that the hyperscalers would argue that they're already complying with all of the, the potential uh, sort of implications of DORA and that kind of regulation. Um, you know, when it comes to incident reports, penetration testing, security, operational resilience, sure, that's part and parcel of cloud operations at the moment. Um, but when it becomes a regulatory issue, um, it means that there's, there's going to be an absolute sort of a, a real impetus for everyone to be doing that and to be seen to be doing that as well. Um, and I, I think the point you mentioned there of um, you know cloud concentration risk as well this idea of opening up the market and making it more competitive um, I think that's that that again is a, is a driver for transformation because it means that you know if you've got to compete against someone you need to be offering something different and something which actually offers more um, to the to the client when it comes to um, providing uh, to FS organizations so we're talking about regulations do you see your customers um, at Red Hat looking also into cloud exit strategies um, and how they are addressing the, the big problem of cloud vendor lock-in. Um, we do a lot of podcasts and roundtables at FS Tech, and it, it's something that always comes up when we talk about cloud. It's um, signing your name on the dotting line, perhaps not without reading really into the fine print, and then finding when, as you mentioned, you do need to come out of cloud for whatever reason, regulatory or otherwise, that you're stuck and your data is stuck in somebody's uh, sort of, you know, workload and, and somebody, someone's infrastructure. Um, how do you get around that? Yeah, so looking at Cloud exit strategy, it is an essential part of, of cloud adoption. Yeah? I mean, moving on to the cloud in itself is a challenge, and this is where a lot of customers are concerned with. On the other hand, you need to kind of turn it around, see the other side of the coin to be able to move off it to another cloud. And as you say, it becomes more and more obvious when, when customers realize that they cannot easily move from one hyperscaler to another, that they suddenly realize we need to consider this we had, or there was actually quite quite an interesting article by, for example, Andy Meyer, the CIO of AXA in Switzerland, and he stated in an interview that not only the importance of his cloud exit strategy that he put into place, 
but also that Access Switzerland has a 30-day rule for their cloud access strategy. That they say, we need to move off any hyperscaler within 30 days mm -hmm. just to be flexible in regards to even costs, yeah, cost factor. Different cloud providers offer different cost models. They change. I think it's as horrible as choosing a mobile phone contract. You know, they always change. Never know what you get until you pay the bill at the end, like you mentioned, the dotted line that you sign. Um, the other one is also the regulatory and compliance issue that we have on that, and also to maintain and keep control. He also had in his article actually a cost aspect to that, that you say if you implement that strategy, that cloud exit strategy, as a fundamental part of your generic cloud strategy, that it will save you a lot of costs just to be able to do that. Because if you can do that in 30 days, it will not cost you a year or two years to actually get off it. Yeah, that was his, his calculation a little bit. And when it comes a little bit to the vendor lock-in, in more and more customer conversations, we see that they become increasingly frustrated that each hyperscaler has their own tooling, you know, their own version of Kubernetes. And that leads to additional costs. You know, if I want to move one application that is designed on one hyperscaler to another one, it doesn't make it easy. I think it's a little bit like in the old days, you know, when you had Java and you had WebSphere and WebLogic and they would give you nice tooling and application functionality. That if you would use that, you would deviate from the standard meaning that you had a vendor log and you couldn't move out. And this is what we also see from a tendency, what hyperscalers try to do. They offer new kind of developer-centric tooling around it, which is perfect, which is really great, you know, but you train on one cloud and you basically can't move that to another one. Yeah, absolutely. And that training point is really, really important. And we, we've got a bit of time left. So I, I just wanted to ask you a more general question around sort of the culture and the, the skills training um, around cloud. And um, how are FSIs at the moment overcoming that challenge? There Obviously, there are skill shortages everywhere in IT, um, particularly in financial services. How do you think FSIs can get around that really thorny issue of cloud skills and bringing the developers on board for this cloud transformation? Yeah, we support and see a lot of developer adoption programs to spend a lot of time, money on educating developers on those new cloud technologies to do internal hackathons. We've been doing a couple of those together with our financial services customers. And those are not only well received, you know, they, they attract talent because that DevOps approach, we sometimes try to get different departments involved to get to know each other better, to mingle and mix the teams. So there is a more of a, of a sense of doing things jointly and a mutual understanding. Some try to build external IT companies themselves. We saw that um, I think at Santander, they had ProBahn, but they're insourcing it again as well. So there was a little bit of a tendency, I'll build you know, kind of a, an external IT company, kind of a FinTech that develops something for me. What we also see as a tendency is more and more insurance companies and also banks and capital markets um, institutions, they let their developers contribute to open source projects and code. So, I mean, it upskills them, it helps develop better code. And sometimes, depending on how large the commitment to open source is, for some financial services institutions, they even say, well, we are fed up with off-the-shelf software that we will customize to our needs. And then on the next release change, we have to do it all over again, spending millions. So we're rather more interested in developing jointly new applications. And there are a couple of open source initiatives with buy-in um, that kind of foster that. And we also see 
a generic trend in regards to cloud technology where a lot of people join. Uh, Gaia X is a, is a project for joint collaboration. So I think along those lines, there is a lot that is happening, not only to retain and attract the talent, but also to kind of have a mutual interest and develop better software the open source way. Absolutely. And Red Hat, as you well know, is a leader in that open source community and building that ecosystem around cloud and around open source technology. So fascinating times. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for now. But if our listeners would like to find out more about Red Hat, Nick, where can we send them for a bit more information? Oh, that's very easy. You can go to redhat.com slash FSI. We do have several reports there as well from Frost and Sullivan, uh, for example, on why financial services firms need an open hybrid cloud. Or very easy, you just email me, niknick at redhat.com. Fantastic. And thanks so much for that, Nick. And uh, thank you for taking the time to, to speak to me and explain a little more about the open hybrid cloud approach. And thanks also to Red Hat for supporting this podcast. If you have any topics um, you'd like to see covered on the FS Tech podcast um, in future, please do get in touch with us on the FS Tech website and go to the Contact Us page. That's all for now. Thanks so much, Nick, and hopefully see you soon for another podcast. Thanks. Thank you so much, Hannah. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the FS Tech Podcast.